What's the balance of words that build and words that destroy? What are you attending to and are you properly attending to it? I can't really navigate this world by myself and no one really could. We, we really need each other. Human beings are inclined towards the good. I don't have to explain it. I just believe it. I changed my mind a lot because we grow up. I just said the two words, I'm sorry. Like I messed up, I'm sorry. That moment of using words not well during the day and then using the words at night, I'm sorry, was a game changer. Was a game changer. Welcome to The Power Of with Noam Weissman. From Unpacked, I'm Noam Weissman, and you're listening to The Power Of. This week, The Power Of Sacrifice and Self-Transcendence. The Power Of is brought to you thanks to our generous platinum-level supporters, the Mayberg Foundation and David and Deborah Magerman, as well as our additional gold-level supporters, Cheryl and Gerald Hartman, and bronze-level supporters, the Crane Mailing Foundation. To sponsor future episodes for your foundation, your company, or just because you care about Jewish education, email us at podcasts at jewishunpacked.com. Anyone who knows me knows that Bill Simmons is one of my Rebbies. When his canonical work, yes, I will call it that, The Book of Basketball, was published in 2009, I devoured those 697 pages like a two-year-old seeing his first piece of cake. I thought I was going to learn about the ins and outs of the greatest basketball players of all time, and I did, but I did not expect to learn about the secret from Bill. What's the secret, you ask? In his years researching his book of basketball, Bill Simmons wanted to know what makes a championship team. And to learn about the secret, Bill spoke to the Hall of Famer Isaiah Thomas of the Detroit Pistons. Here's how Bill describes it. Detroit collapsed in consecutive springs against the 87 Celtics and 88 Lakers, but regrouped in 89 for 62 wins and swept the Lakers for their first championship, vindicating a controversial in-season trade that shipped all-star Adrian Dantley and a draft pick to Dallas for Mark Aguirre. The crucial section happens during the 89 finals, with Isaiah holding court with reporters and improbably offering up the secret of winning basketball. Isaiah explained, It's not about physical skills, goes far beyond that. I watched the Celtics and Lakers because those were the teams winning year in and year out. I also looked at Seattle, who won one year, and Houston, who got to the finals one year. They both self-destructed the next year. So how come? I read Pat Riley's book, Showtime, and he talks about, quote, the disease of more. A team wins it one year, and the next year, every player wants more minutes, more money, more shots, and it kills them. Our team has been up at the championship level for years now. We could have easily self-destructed. But his team didn't. Why? Isaiah said, I always thought that the most important measure of how good a game I played was how much better I made my teammates play. Bam, that's it. It's so simple. In team sports, especially basketball, individual skill cannot overcome collective effort and good teamwork. Bill explained that for Isaiah Thomas, the secret to building a championship team is creating a culture of sacrifice and a concept called self-transcendence. The key to victory is going beyond mine and your personal needs. The ultimate irony for sacrifice, and I believe this to be true if done right, is that when one sacrifices in relationships, one can emerge as the victor. 
This got me thinking about my own life and my own personal sacrifices. And it got me thinking about millennials and Gen Z. How much do we all think about sacrifice in Western society? Do I sacrifice enough for my kids? Do I sacrifice enough for my parents? Do I sacrifice enough for my wife? Do I sacrifice enough for my friends? Do I sacrifice enough for God? Do I sacrifice enough for my people? I'm not sure I do. But I do know that from any philosophy I've read and any Torah I've learned, in any understanding of the, quote, moral life, is the assumption that we need to free ourselves from our particular interested point of view. And this is called self-transcendence, when we're able to do that. For many, enlightened self-interest seems like the way to go. I look after myself first and you later. Everyone knows the mantra. In an emergency, secure your mask before helping others with theirs. Yet seeing beyond oneself and exhibiting self-transcendence is the highest stage of personal development. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs of Blessed Memory said, We love what we're willing to make sacrifices for. To love is to thank. To love is to give. Sacrifice is the choreography of love. While sacrifice may be the choreography of love, it is sometimes difficult to be a good dancer. So to talk this out, I turned to my good friend, Chloe Valdery. Chloe is the founder of The Theory of Enchantment, a diversity and resilience training company. And her whole program is amazing. But what's so intriguing to me is her whole approach, that you can't begin to approach the world beyond yourself until you first attempt to look through the eyes of others. So why sacrifice? When should we sacrifice? Who am I willing to sacrifice for? When is sacrifice a virtue? And when is sacrifice a demerit? Friends, I bring you Chloe Valdery. Chloe, so excited to have you here. I'm so excited to be here, Noam. This is going to be a lot of fun. Our 10 episodes cover the gamut. Yeah. You chose to speak about the topic of sacrifice and self-transcendence. Without going too much into it, why did you choose this topic? I feel like I've been learning a lot about sacrifice as something that is important for self-individuation and self-actualization and ultimately self-transcendence. I really want to live a full life, and I think that requires discernment, and it requires sacrificing uh, certain things um, in order to achieve a greater purpose in life. You said a lot of words there. Some <laughs> of them I understood, some of them I did not. We'll make sure to go through these terms throughout this episode. You and I, you know, I want to I want to lay this on the table. You and I worked together for a year, and we were able to have these incredible, what we called intellectual jam sessions. Sure. And what, I, what I'm excited about in today's conversation is to kind of have that conversation with everyone listening in on it, because the topic of sacrifice and self-transcendence for me, just like for you, and maybe we have different reasons, is probably the most important topic um, as a human being. And we'll, we'll mm. get to that. We'll, we'll definitely get to that. Mm. You're the founder of the theory of enchantment. Um, mm. What is the theory of enchantment? How does the theory of enchantment address the question of sacrifice and self-transcendence. Mm. So Theory of Enchantment is an anti-racism program. And broadly speaking, we basically teach people how to love themselves. So they're less likely to take the things that they don't love about themselves and project it onto others, which is the foundation of racism and supremacy. Mm. And the way that sacrifice plays a role 
I think, in that process is, number one, first of all, engaging in a practice where you start to become aware of the different idiosyncrasies that you have, the different habits that you have, the different um, impulses that you have, and then properly attend to those. And this is actually how I fundamentally think of sacrifice. I think sacrifice is really about what we pay attention to, how we attend to different things in our lives. And choosing to attend to certain elements of our lives over others is itself an act of sacrifice. So, for example, if I know and I do know that if I stay on Twitter for way too long, I'm going to be sucked into Vortex where I'm going to start seeing people as like other and get get looped into us versus them mentality. It's just my nature. So I sacrifice by saying I'm only going to allow myself to be on Twitter every two weeks. And during those two weeks, I'm only going to allow myself to be on Twitter within a certain time frame. Um, so that's an example of like sacrificing where I, where I put my attention towards because I know that if I don't make that discernment, I'm just not going to feel good. I'm going to engage in unhealthy habits um, and I'm just going to engage in like a downward spiral. Right. So you've spoken to me in the past about the value of stoicism. You actually taught me a ton about stoicism. I started reading a, a lot more about, I'm not going to pronounce his name correctly, but Epictetus <laughs> yeah. uh, and Marcus Aurelius. What What were some of their ideas that really stand out to you? And do you see them as having uh, a big imprint on how you think about sacrifice and self-transcendence so it's interesting the last since since last time i spoke to you about stoicism i've studied a lot of other wisdom traditions <laughs> and a lot of other right. practices so i can't honestly say that stoicism is at the forefront of what i'm thinking about these days but stoicism um, is a very cool kind of psychotechnology that teaches you self-awareness that teaches you how to recognize when you're stuck in a certain story uh, that you're telling yourself about a situation that you're in, about a right. relationship that you're in, and it allows you to pull yourself out. So I'll give you another example. I know that for me and my mom, I seek validation mm. from my mom. Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And um, we don't share the same political views. We don't share a lot of the same political views. So right. anytime that she expresses a political view I disagree with, I have this tendency to feel unvalidated. Mm. Whereas stoicism has taught me to, first of all, recognize that that's what's going on. Right. Um, when, I, when I angrily lash out at my mom for not having the same political opinions as me, what's happening is that like I'm, I'm in this weird thing where I want my mom's validation and I'm defining her validation as agreeing with me as opposed uh -huh. to seeing my mom as a full human being individual human being who's not just my mom but like has her own thing going on and has her own situation going on so stoicism allows me to pull myself out of this sort of headspace where i'm too dependent too codependent on everything my mom's my mom believes in um as a matter of like feeling validated and accepted and all of these things so yeah stoicism i i, I like you said is that there are a lot of uh, wisdoms out there uh, yeah. But the, to me, the idea of stoicism that uh, that basically that we have control over the things that we have control over and mm -hmm. to kind of hyper focus on that and not focus on the areas of life that we don't have control over. Yeah. I think a lot of unhappiness stems from the sense that we can control things that we actually cannot control. 
And yeah. stoicism helps us um, kind of jump over that hurdle to recognize right. that, like, to be incredibly mindful of what we can control. I want right. to go into what I think is uh, the opposite of where I was planning to have this conversation. The, the, <laughs> okay. way I was the way I was planning to have the conversation was to talk to you about the virtues of sacrifice and then go into the travails of sacrifice. But what I want to do differently is I want to actually start with the downsides of sacrifice and then go into the upsides of sacrifice. So okay. the downside of sacrifice to me looks like this. Uh, Joseph Trumpledore, a very er famous early Zionist thinker, when I say famous, and I mean to those who know who Joseph Trumpledore was. <laughs> yeah. And he says the famous line that um, davar tov lamut which means it's good to die for our country. Mm -hmm. This is the concept mm -hmm. that one needs to sacrifice something on behalf of something that's more grand, more global, yeah, bigger than you. Greater. The, yeah. Something that's greater, the collective, right? Yeah. An insight that I find fascinating, it's not my own, so I could call it fascinating, is that human beings are the only species that kills for principle rather than for self-interest, right? Mm -hmm. That is a crazy notion, mm -hmm. right? Like, you know what, I, like, what I'm saying? Like, when, when, when a lion is going to kill a zebra, it's not killing a zebra because the lion deeply believes in the yeah. value of, you know, it's not what's going on. It's not a principle thing. It's an yeah. evolutionary thing or something else. There is a fear. There is a fear. And this is what Yuval Noah Harari calls our boys didn't die in vain syndrome. And what it looks like, and he tells the story, mm. um, I don't know if you've heard of the story, in 1915, and so listen to this, in 1915, Italy entered the First World War on the side of the Entente powers, right? And their whole goal was to, you know, you know, liberate Trento and Trieste, I probably didn't pronounce it correctly. So what happened? In the first battle, they lost 15,000 men. In the second battle, they lost 40,000. In the third battle, they lost 60,000. And what happened? They continued for more than two dreadful years, says uh, Yuval Noah Harari, until the 11th engagement. And then what happened? Finally, they were totally defeated. The glorious adventure became a bloodbath. By the end of the war, almost 700,000 Italian soldiers were killed and more than a million were wounded. So what, what happened? What happened, which I think is crazy, that I, I just read this, is that the politicians couldn't go back to the parents, to the wives, to the children of the 15,000 dead Italian soldiers and tell them, hey, sorry, there's been a mistake. We hope, we hope you won't take it too hard. But, you know, Marco <laughs> died. So what they did is they sacrificed more and more, and they didn't want their boys to die in vain, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This, is the, this is a downside to sacrifice, right? Mm -hmm. That because we sacrifice for something, we turn that thing into a good you hear what i'm saying yeah i i do hear what you're saying i think that here we may have two different definitions of sacrifice uh okay, let's, let's hear it so again to go back to this idea of attention and this is not my original thought this comes from a conversation with john verveke who's a cognitive scientist that i really love and admire um but this idea of sacrifice as attention and what what are you attending to and are you properly uh. attending to it so the situation that you just described, I would say that that's a failure to properly attend to something mm. um, uh, in a in a healthy and and deliberate way, and okay. and so is it a is it a sacrifice in the traditional sense of the word? Yes, absolutely, but it's not a sacrifice in the in what I think is the is the deeper sense of the word, and it's not the proper sacrifice, right? It's like. It's like Cain offering up the wrong sacrifice. 
and Abel offering up the appropriate sacrifice and God being pleased with one and not the other. Right. Um, so, so I think there's something there that maybe we can riff on, but that's, that's but, what I would offer. <laughs> so, so that sacrifice, I do want to riff off of that because that yeah. sacrifice in Cain and Abel's story is another fascinating story. That's yeah. fascinating for a totally different reason. From my perspective, the reason mm. that that is incredibly, uh, fascinating is that there, Moshe Halbertal speaks about this and he notes that the pain that goes along with sacrifice when you are giving up of something, when you are sacrificing something, and there's a rejection of the thing that you are giving. So let's take the example of your mother and you. When mm -hmm. your mother is trying to give you something, right? Mm -hmm. And you, Chloe, are not accepting it. There's a bigger pain that results from the rejection of a gift than, mm -hmm. than exclusion, right? Yes. Rejection yes. of a gift is such a painful feeling. Yes. But then I would say, to bring back Stoicism, in that particular situation, again, how do we properly attend to that which just happened, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and if my identity, let's say like I try to give my mom something, cause I can't, it's hard for me to do it in the reverse way. So let me do it from my okay. perspective. If I try yeah. to give my mom something and she rejects it, and I've had this experience, not in a material sense, but if I try to offer my mom an idea, for example, and she rejects it, it can be very painful. It, it is right. very painful. However, what does what does God tell Cain after he gives his sacrifice and his countenance falls? He tells Cain essentially to observe himself, assess himself, and if he does good, he will be rewarded, and if not, evil lies at the door. Right. So in that situation, are you go are you going east of Eden on me right now? A little, a little, yeah, <laughs> and a little bit of Kohelet, but that's too okay. far in the weeds. But um. The proper thing for me to do in that moment is to properly attend to like my instincts and my impulses and to fi to like figure out why I'm triggered. Like, why is my ego triggered in that moment right. and work on that? <laughs> right. Again, because my, my mom is her own self and I'm my own self. And so to, to become counter dependent or codependent on her is 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 to make the wrong sacrifice, the wrong kind of sacrifice. OK, so let's talk about. The right kind of sacrifice then mm -hmm. uh could you share a personal story about a time that either someone sacrificed for you or that you sacrificed for someone else uh mm -hmm. that you know really impacted you and your relationship um i think that <laughs> i'm smiling because this thing that just came to me and it's like a little embarrassing to talk about it, but, or not embarrassing. Hey, li listen, just listen, <laughs> mi millions are listening. So that's all good. Don't yes. worry about it. Um, I was in a relationship with a guy and, and it didn't work out for a whole host of reasons. And he expressed to me in the end, actually, actually initially in the end, we wanted to be friends. We, we said that we would always be friends. And I really like looked forward to that. I really looked forward to being friends. But yeah. a year a year passed and we didn't speak to each other. And then I reached out and he essentially said he couldn't be friends. And mm. the the clingy part of me, the clingy, impulsive, um, reckless part of me would have responded by pestering this man until he basically blocked me <laughs> on texting or whatever. Whereas right. the part of me who discerns that um that aspect of sacrifice as an important piece of sacrifice 
um, essentially basically sacrifices the need to possess and the need to want to control this guy's actions. And instead of falling into that habit or, or acting on that habit, acting on that impulse, essentially says, okay, if that's, if that's what you want, (laughs) if, if that's what you want, um, then it is more important for him and as an individual to be free. It's more important for me as an individual to be free um, than for me to be possessive and for me to sort of want to control the situation. And so I actually think this, this also bleeds into a conversation about love and what is, the, what is true love. True mm-hmm. love ultimately sets free. Mm. And I think that if you're properly applying your attention to a situation, then ultimately everyone involved is going to be set free by your decisions and by your actions. Well, to love requires sacrifice, right? right? Like, exactly. Right? Meaning like the, the, the true demonstration of love is sacrifice. I think that we could spend really five hours speaking about the, the binding of Isaac. Mm-hmm. But I, I think mm-hmm. that one of the reasons that my understanding of the binding of Isaac, about that Abraham and yes, Isaac was the victim in this mm-hmm. scenario that we always forget, or really, by the way, the ram is the victim, but um, <laughs> yes, yeah. but but the reason that God is requesting of this sacrifice from Abraham is because of the fact that he needs to be sh- shown sacrifice and to give up something that Abraham in return is getting nothing. There is mm-hmm. no transaction taking place here. Abraham gets nothing, and this is what is referred to as God as the um, rich spouse syndrome, where, mm. the, where, the, where, the, where the spouse never knows if he or she is ever totally loved because they don't know if there is something that their spouse is getting in return, right? Okay. And so yeah. they have to give up something that is not transactional. It's not utilitarian. I get right. nothing in return. Right. And, and, and in many ways, and whatever people's issues are with the binding of Isaac, from a religious perspective, from a personal perspective, like I love that idea. And I'll tell you why I love that idea. There is a movie. Have you ever seen The Minority Report or are you too young for that? I have not seen it. I know it's a movie. I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. Okay. There's a scene in it that just mm-hmm. gets me every time. Well, I don't know why I watch it all the time, but I guess I think about <laughs> I think about, you know, the question of self-interest versus self-transcendence all the time. Mm-hmm. And there's a moment in which this really creepy lady is surrounded by lots of plants and the this flower that she treats all of these plants, but the flower like latches onto her arm. Okay? okay. It latches onto her arm. And this is these are plants that she treats. And she's talking to Tom Cruise. And she says the following quote. It's funny how all living organisms are alike. When the chips are down, when the pressure is on, every creature on the face of the earth. Is interested in one thing and one thing only its own survival meaning to be human yeah no to be an organism is mm-hmm. to self-preserve to go beyond that is what's called self-transcendence meaning you're not getting anything in return for something that is the ultimate act of morality the mm-hmm. ultimate act of morality the ultimate act of demonstrating love would be to sacrifice to self-transcend and not to get anything in return. Well, so I would argue that this is what puts human beings at the top of the hierarchy of the food chain. What do you mean? Because human beings are capable of self-transcendence, which is to say self-sacrifice in a way that I think other uh, animals, etc., are not capable of. 
Uh, and in, you know, I'm a huge fan of Carl Jung. Uh, theory of Enchantment has been deeply affected and impacted by Carl Jung. There's a lot of overlap between yeah. Carl Jung and Kabbalah. Some say he actually studied Kabbalah. Mm. So he talks often about how individuation requires... What is individuation? You keep on saying that word. What does that word mean? Individuation is the process by which you become a full, whole human being. Not just in the material sense, but in the psychological sense. So for example, to go back to my example of my mom, me not being dependent upon my mom's approval, validation, etc., and how I see myself and how I come to understand myself. And it's only where... It's only when you become a full, free individual that you can actually become interdependent with other human beings. Mm-hmm. Where you're independent, but you're st- still cooperating. You can actually enter into harmony and fellowship with other human beings. Um, but it's but it's not possible if your own identity is actually dependent upon other human beings or dependent upon your own base instincts and base impulses in an unconscious way. So Carl Jung would say that you you have to learn how to sacrifice the thing that means the, that is the most important to you. Um, so the, I think the Akeda would be an example of that. But the thing that is the most important to you, you have to be able and willing to sacrifice that. And that's actually what uh, designates you or shows you to be a free human being. Okay, so here, here so I want to give some examples of what we're talking about here. So sure. from a religious perspective, let me let me start. From a religious perspective, one example might be the following, I'm giving a Jewish perspective, okay? Mm-hmm. Shabbat, uh-huh. the day of rest. Uh-huh. There are two different ways that one could possibly love Shabbat, right? And, th- and this is what I'm saying is pretty challenging, but I think this is where self-transcendence and sacrifice really comes in. The first way is to ask the question, what does religion offer for me? And mm-hmm. that way is to say, okay, what Shabbat can give me is you know, beautiful time with my family. It can give me the ability to sing songs. I could have delicious food and drink. And because Shabbat gives me this, right? It gives it to me, Mm -hmm. right? I will continue to observe it. Yeah. The second way to approach Shabbat is to not ask, what does religion offer to me? But what am I obligated to offer for the sake of religion? Which Mm -hmm. is to say that when observing Shabbat is not easy, that moment in which one transcends and says, I'm not getting anything in return for it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I'm not instrumentalizing this. Sure. That is a powerful moment of, I think, religious growth. That's my mm. religious example. My personal example that I'd want to throw out here in, let's say, husband-wife relationship, or, mm-hmm. or, you know, and where a husband is thinking, okay, I'm going to get my wife these mm-hmm. flowers because she's mad at me and I therefore want to make her happy with me, right? Yeah. I don't mean to sound too personal, right? And, um, <laughs> yeah. and, yeah. and, you know, and I'm going to give her these flowers in order for her to not be mad at me, as opposed to doing the following, which mm-hmm. is to pick up a random Wednesday and mm-hmm. say, I'm going to miss an hour of work that I need to be at, right? Transcending myself. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go pick up those flowers. And I'm going to give them to her, and I'm not expecting anything in return. I'm mm-hmm. okay with her still being, let's say, frustrated with me about A, B, and C. Yeah, that that is a very difficult thing to do, but I think it is the pinnacle of what it means to be a human. And would you say you've gotten there? <laughs> no, absolutely not. I think yeah. that no, I, I I really don't. But I think that this is the 
hardest thing to achieve. I think in moments I get there. Yeah. In moments same. I get there, you know? So like, I'll give you an example for me in a moment where I get there. Mm -hmm. um, prayer. Okay. Prayer is incredibly difficult for me. Yeah. Uh, incredibly difficult. Oh my gosh. It's so difficult. It's not something every morning I look forward to doing, but those moments in which I'm really not in the mood to do this, yeah. uh, and I'm not asking God for anything in return. I'm merely, you know, speaking to God and discharge my obligation the way I see it to pray to God and to have this relationship to God mm -hmm. allows me uh, to see beyond myself. Yeah. And when I'm able to see beyond myself, it's a, it's it's oh, it's really powerful. It's yeah. a really powerful thing to do. Do you have any examples like this that stand out? Yeah, so I meditate every day in the morning. Um, and I, f I do f experience meditation as a form of prayer. And sometimes I don't feel like doing it. I will say it's hard for me, though, because... I do get something out of meditation. I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't describe it as purely transactional. I don't think getting something out of something is necessarily transactional, right? Um, Isn't that I, exactly what it is? I don't think so because it's not as if I'm extracting resources from, uh, you know. Um, well, it's, not, it's not parasitic. That it's I not, agree with. It's not parasitic, but it okay. does contribute to my well being. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that or negative about that or. So, uh, something to be avoided um okay. but but i will say that sometimes i don't feel like doing it <laughs> so the you know but still understanding that like it does set my day up so that i'm seeing the world in a much more spiritual way and in a much more healthy way and i think it's important that i that that is what i get out of the experience so i'm able to even when i don't feel like it even when i'm too tired or groggy um i i, I like even the struggle of having to overcome that feeling and, and actually yes. do it. Well, that's big. That's really big. Yeah. That's part of the process of sacrifice is the struggle. I agree. Yeah. I agree. So the yeah, I think the struggle has to be there or there is no sacrifice. Yeah. See, I don't believe that just because something is incredibly difficult and incredibly uncommon, it therefore means that we ought not to pursue it. Right. Of so like, course, yeah. just, just because like, like, yeah, I'm preaching right now. I, I hear myself. <laughs> I'm preaching. I'm preaching the value of sacrifice. I'm preaching the value of self transcendence. And I'm also saying that it is incredibly difficult for me and I rarely get there, but yeah. I also know that I'll give you a great example. Mm -hmm. Do you have any friends, Chloe? I do. <laughs> yes. Yes. <That's>, okay. <laughs> I, I have some friends also. Yeah. And the way I view friendship is like this. Mm -hmm. There's multiple tiers, maybe a third tier, a second tier, a first tier. Okay. But within the closest tier, what mm -hmm. I'm looking for and what I'm as a friend and what I'm hoping my inner circle wants from me as well yeah. is the following. Okay, let's hear it. That I am here for you, Chloe. Mm -hmm. I'm here for you, Noam, in a way that even if I get nothing in return for being there for you, Mm -hmm. And as a matter of fact, it could even hurt me to be there for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm going to transcend my self-preservation mm -hmm. and ensure that you have what you need. So that, that to me is, that's, that's the pinnacle. I'm not expecting 50 people to be like that, yeah. but, but the inner circle, that sacrifice, that self-transcendence is what it means to have the most loving relationship. And I'm lucky. I have a few friends like that. Yeah. I'm lucky. I do. So, uh, number one, in the Christian wisdom tradition, that would be considered agape love. 
So agape love, which was also used in civil rights movement, it was a central piece of the civil rights movement. Uh, agape love, it's a selfless kind of love that transforms a being who is not fully a being into an individual being. So it's like this idea of the concept of raising someone, right? Literally the physical act of raising someone uh, brings to mind a sapling, which becomes an oak tree, right? So it started off as a seed and agape love is the kind of love that when applied actually raises the seed into the fullness of a tree. And in theory of enchantment, we teach how to practice agape love with regards to the self and also with regards to other beings. And agape love was what inspired Dr. King and many of the civil rights leaders um, during Jim Crow and when protesting segregation to say to the people who were racist, to say essentially, I hate the thing that you're doing, but I don't hate you. Mm. You're essentially acting out what is fundamentally a kind of immature, like, kind of childishness being affected by the pathology of race. Um, but by being in a certain way and by, and by embodying this kind of selfless agape love, I will protest what you're doing while simultaneously trying my best to love you uh, oh, wow. as someone created in the image of the divine. Right. Wow. So what, what you've described has deep uh, roots in our country. <laughs> I love that. I mean, I'm gonna get a T-shirt that says "Agape Love." Like, like, I'm, yeah. Like, I'm like, like I, I want to be. That, yeah. like, you know, what I'm saying, like, I, I'm, I'm all about agape love. Yeah. You know, for the, for the, for the right people, and yeah. and I think that we're all looking for that. And same thing with our, you know, I think with our religion, that's the way I view it as well. I, I don't know where that situates itself exactly within the Jewish tradition. I have yeah. to think about that. But I, I guess the binding of Isaac is that ultimate. Uh, revelatory story that we have that maybe maybe shows that. I don't know if it does, but maybe it does. I don't know. I would have to think about it. I still I still contemplate that story. I still don't I I still don't fully grasp the meaning of that I, story. But. I think it's the greatest story of all time. <laughs> I, I I think it's the yeah. most remarkable story of all time. And I, I just want to tell you one idea from this story that I find to be remarkable. There was a rabbi. Uh, his name is the Kutzker Rebbe. Mm -hmm. Have you heard of him? Mm -mm. Okay. Oh, okay. So now the Kutzka <laughs> Rebbe is this game set match. This guy was something else, early 19th century. And he has an idea of the, about the binding of Isaac, which I, I view as the most earth shattering idea I've ever heard about okay. the binding of Isaac. The Kutzka Rebbe explains that the binding of Isaac was much easier for him mm -hmm. than taking Isaac off of the altar. And it was more painful for Abraham to release Isaac than it was to bind him. Mm -hmm. And the test was his willingness not to kill Isaac as opposed to killing Isaac. What the Kutzka Rebbe explains, and is cited by Rabbi Norman Lamb, he explains the following. It's the nature of man, once he has taken a clear position in life, especially if he has suffered for it, right? Mm -hmm. Like that, mm -hmm. the dying in vain example I gave from Yuval Noah Harari. So mm -hmm. he says, it's, if someone has suffered for it, not to retreat from it, but to mold the future along the doctrines of the past in order to vindicate his past. Mm -hmm. It is part of our normal psychology. What we have invested in time and energy, loyalty and commitment, prestige and reputation in a certain approach, we do not want to change. We cannot change, lest mm -hmm. we thereby declare that our entire past has been invalid and inauthentic. 
Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. a mind-blowing idea. What the Kutzker Rebbe is saying is that once we commit ourselves to an idea, yeah. that becomes our own sort of religion. And the yeah. willingness to 20 years from now, I love when I meet 55-year-olds, 75-year-olds who actually think differently than what they did three years ago. I find them to be remarkable. That's why maybe the concept of a Baal Tshuva, like mm-hmm. someone who is uh, in Judaism, someone who chooses to say, mm-hmm. you know, I'm 45 years old right now. I choose to live incredibly differently than the way I did when I was younger. I find that to be a remarkable decision, yeah. a remarkable decision. You've committed yourself. You've committed your, 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 your whole family to a certain way of living. And then you say, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm going to retreat from that. That yeah. is a remarkable idea to me. Have you mm. ever heard of that? Well, I've heard, I've certainly heard of Balshuva, if that's what you Yeah, mean. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, no, but have you heard of this idea? This idea no, that it was I, the I, removal? I haven't heard of that. That is a really profound idea. I that that is a really profound idea. Yeah, I'll say I'll say that. And there's many implications on a personal level, on a societal level, on a national. I want to hear the personal level. What's a, what's an what's an example mm-hmm. of an implication? Oh, so you know the uh, okay. So you know the piece that I wrote in 2014, uh, angry letter to SJP from a from an angry black woman in Tablet Magazine. Yeah. How, how so, could I forget? So I I don't regret writing it, but I would never write it today. <laughs> okay, <laughs> like, but okay, I would so, never write it today. Uh, so what do you mean by that? That letter was such a polemical, political, hyperbolic. I would argue. Um, passionate, nothing wrong with passion. Nothing wrong with passion. Um, but superficial ultimately letter and superficial, not in the sense that it was wrong, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't interested in, um, sort of the nuances of human psychology, right? Uh It, it, It wasn't interested in the, the insecurities that often drive us. So like, I'll give you an example in, in 2014, when I was in Boston, the Gaza war was going on and there were protests happening. And every time I would see a Palestinian flag at a protest, I would be triggered. Mm. Now let me explain to you what that means because some people use this term willy nilly and I don't know what that, what they mean when they use it. But what <laughs> I mean, what I mean is that my ego was triggered. And when uh. my, when my ego is triggered, that means, but basically what that means is there is something within a person or within the group that, that they're doing that they're embodying that I can't stand, which is ultimately within myself. Right. Mm. And so, and so when my ego sugar, that means I begin to enter into a superiority complex or a superiority mindset where I start to see myself as better than better than them. Right. Which is different from me saying, I have a problem with what you're saying. I have a problem with, you know, what you're doing. Once I enter the realm of my ego is triggered and now I see myself as better than you, I'm actually out, acting out of insecurity unconsciously. Uh. When I wrote that piece, my ego was triggered for sure, a hundred percent. And in my opinion, it doesn't matter that what I said may have been true on a on a superficial level. On a deeper level, there was some truth that was missing because I wasn't honest about where I was and my feelings and my superiority complex and how I saw these people, regardless of what they were doing and whether or not it was good or bad. How I, how I saw these people who are also made in the image of the divine, right? as fundamentally less than me because they were doing what they were doing. So that's why I wouldn't write that piece today. Although I'm very grateful for that piece because uh, it's a reflection of where I have been in different stages in my life. And I can look back exactly. and, and I can see, you know, I can see where I was. 
I gotta I gotta read you uh an incredible tweet from a guy I will not stop quoting, Adam Grant. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. He said, There's nothing wrong with being wrong. To err is human. Mm-hmm. It becomes a problem when you choose to stay wrong. Mm. This is the exact <laughs> same idea. To deny to deny yeah. error is willful blindness. New information is an invitation to question old opinions. Mm-hmm. The faster you are to recognize your mistakes, the less wrong you become. I mean, wow. Yeah. I mean, that's the Kutzker. Yeah. That's Chloe Valdery saying that 2014, you know, you might not want to use the term regret, but you're saying you, you approach that incorrectly. Yeah. I think that we don't have enough people out there. Let me say it positively. The more people that we could get out there to say, I, 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 I yeah. see things differently than the way I used to see them. You know, that's going to be better for the world that we don't have to be a uh, submissive to mm-hmm. our former selves. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. We're, you know, so like that's a remarkable idea that you're able to recognize that in 2014. By the way, my own dissertation, I, I disagree with things that I wrote and it's only four years later, yeah. five years later, whatever, you know, and I disagree with some things that I wrote. And I'm yeah. like, you know, I see things a little bit differently now. And I, I, I I don't I think that that's the challenge for so many of us. But can I so tell you? But can I tell you why I think it's a challenge? I have a whole thing what? like on this. I think it's ch- I think it's a challenge because I'm gonna try to summarize because we don't understand the nature of the self of of, of self in the human sense. Like we think that the self the self is a fixed entity that is that is like the same. Uh, when it was born and it's the same when it will die when we will die and it's uh, a ve- it's a very like rousseauian idea actually um that oh, you know this, class, <laughs> class, i know classic rousseau right yeah. classic <laughs> rousseau. <laughs> this idea this idea that you can just like just be your true self right which we hear right. as opposed to the sapling right. that must become the oak tree right uh, the sapling is not supposed to stay the sapling it's supposed to become the oak tree right and so once you once you and i this is something that i've learned over the past year um, year and a half, really. Once you learn that it is the nature of the self, of the human being, to to be inexhaustible, right? Uh, a finite being, but which is nonetheless inexhaustible, and and there's sort of like what John Vervicki calls the no thingness of what it means to be human, right? You're not any one thing. Um, this is a very. It. This comes from the Taoist wisdom tradition as well. I have a feeling that it's actually the origin of why. One of the Ten Commandments is not to have idols because an idol is a fixed thing. It doesn't change. Mm. It, it's exhaustible as opposed to the human being, which is which is inexhaustible. Um, and I think that if we were able to conceive of ourselves in that way, it would no longer be a threat to our d- identity to change. We would no longer see change as a threat, but actually as a as a example of what, what it means to be deeply human. In some ways, the it, it, you're taking the metaphorical idea of self-transcendence mm. with the oak tree and the sapling and being literal. Like one's yeah. literally be- yeah. like <laughs> transcending oneself and becoming something new, yeah. right? This, becoming that that oak tree, uh, yeah. which is which is really viewing life in a way as saying that this is um, not just a journey in the trite way, but yeah. this is something that we're, you're going to change. You were one thing once. You're a different thing the next day. You're a different thing. And, and, and so we shouldn't identify, we shouldn't define ourselves perhaps mm-hmm. just because of something that we've done in the past 10 years ago, 15 years ago, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I really, I really love that idea, Chloe. Thank you for sharing that. 
Anything else you want to share with us in terms of sacrifice and self-transcendence? Anything you want to ask me? Anything that's on your mind? I would ask you, what advice would you give to someone who is wanting to learn how to self-sacrifice and uh, how to practice sacrifice on a daily basis? For me, I would say it, it, it's a few things. To view yourself as part of a collective, right? Okay. I, I do think that that's, that's really important. Any definition of having the human capacity for moral life involves self-transcendence to one degree or the other, mm -hmm. right? So the first part is how do you allow yourself to genuinely reflect and ask, what am I doing in a daily life that's not merely about my self-interest? That's number one. Yeah. Look back at the end of your day and ask yourself, what did I do today that was not about furthering my self-interest? And what did I do today that was about furthering someone else's mm -hmm. self-interest? Whatever that is, right? Mm -hmm. That's the first thing. The second thing I would do is, you know, I would become a better friend. I would mm -hmm. choose to become a better friend to one yeah. or two or three other people. Be that better friend, right? That yeah. Just like um, I want someone to be great to me, I have to be great to that person. In relationships, I find that when people are upset about their relationships, and I, I'm, I'm part of this, I'm speaking to myself as much as to anyone else. Yeah. When I'm in a relationship and I'm upset about how the other person is treating me, it's very often a reflection of how I'm treating that person. Mm. So if I'm able mm. to treat that person differently, but if I'm able to control the way I behave towards that person, very mm. often we will see, I, I believe we'll see reciprocity. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and the third idea, this is just a personal thing for me, is, uh, and hopefully it'll resonate with other people, is learn, learn Torah. Um, the <laughs> yeah. amount, the amount I of content, <laughs> the <laughs> amount of content in there that is, I think, so much about the dangers of instrumentalizing relationships. We see it throughout mm -hmm. the Bible. Mm -hmm. We see it throughout religious literature and the value of the people that choose to do things for other uh, characters, whether it's for God as a character or the land of Israel as a character or mm -hmm. other human beings as a character is it, it's a remarkable, remarkable thing. So if we're able to do those three things, I, I do believe that we can work on self-transcendence and sacrifice. And then to remind ourselves perhaps as the fourth idea that it is a pursuit Mm -hmm. It is a pursuit. It is not something just because from an, perhaps an evolutionary perspective, a human perspective, psychological perspective, whatever it is that we want to say, mm -hmm. that we have self-interest in, in mind or we have group interest in mind, however we want to formulate it. Jonathan Haidt <laughs> speaks about this tremendously. Just because it's difficult doesn't mean it's not worth it. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. pursue something that is incredibly difficult, even, even though it's difficult. That's yeah. my take. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with me. <laughs> thanks, thanks for getting me to think about that. Yeah. <laughs> Chloe, you are one of my favorite people, I was going to say in the podcast, but I really mean in the world. I love having conversations with you. I love learning with you. And I'm just excited to make sure that the theory of enchantment gets out there more and more so that you can really help individuals and societies become the best versions of themselves, which is something that we all deeply, deeply need in order to become a more compassionate society, a more empathic society, a more loving society, and a society that hopefully 
uh, ensures that we transcend beyond our individual self needs and mm. we do just better for each other. That's that's my hope. And I think that with your work at Theory of Enchantment, it becomes possible. So thanks, Chloe. Oh, thank you, Noam. And I just want to let you know that I miss you and I love you. And I'm so happy that we're able to speak. I hope that even offline, we continue to to be in fellowship with each other. That That really matters to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks, Chloe. For almost a decade, I taught the Binding of Isaac to a group of inquisitive and curious high school students. There was something so personal and resonant about the story for my students. It's a story that struck such a personal chord. From speaking to Chloe, I can see why. On the one hand, the choice to engage in sacrifice is the choice to sublimate oneself or even negate or deny ourselves in the service of something else. Whatever that thing is, it could be your country, it could be your soccer team, it could be your religion, it could be your relationship with your boyfriend or girlfriend. For the teenage years, which are hyper-focused on developing our own identities, there is something so disarming about learning about sacrifice and self-transcendence and engaging in behavior that goes beyond our needs. Here's one thing I'm sure of. To sacrifice for is the most necessary demonstration of love, of commitment that one can show. Here's something else I'm pretty confident about as well. Sacrifice and self-transcendence is dangerous. And misguided self-transcendence, like in the story of Italy in the First World War, or the sacrifice of extremist terrorists of any kind, is lethal in a really scary way. Professor Aaron Kohler said this, As a society, we must allow Knights of Faith to ascend the mountain to be alone with God. But we must not allow them to bring Isaac along. So, as we end this podcast, I'm walking away with this. Oh, um, it's time to really follow your own advice, because I don't want to let this all sit in my brain intellectually, feeling like, wow, that was a good conversation. No, I want to actually push myself every day to actually live this way. When I go to bed at night, reviewing the day, I want to be able to tell myself that I've been focusing more on doing for others and not just for me. So that's my charge to myself and to all of you. We got this. The Power Of is a production of Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. Rate and review the pod on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to help other people find the show. Check out jewishunpacked.com for everything Unpacked related and subscribe to our other podcasts. Follow Unpacked at all the social media places. Just look for at Jewish Unpacked and most of all, write to us. Tell me how you're managing to transcend yourself at podcasts at jewishunpacked.com. This episode was produced by Ripke Stern, and audio magic is all Rob Para. I'm your host, Noam Weissman. Thanks for listening.